RadioInfluence.com. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, TJ Reed. Well, ho, ho, ho. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And we get ready for the final couple of editions in 2018 of Three Dog Thursday. Pre-Christmas show, time for lots of doggies on the only digital radio show that comes your way exclusively with the underdog conversation for college football for the NFL. I am your somewhat capable host. He is Kevin Rogers, senior handicapper, VegasInsider.com. He's got his list. He's checking it twice. He is looking at what teams have been naughty and, of course, what teams have been nice. I just made that up. Uh, How are you, my friend? Good to have you back. Good to be back. Wrapping up the regular season. Two weeks left. Always a pet peeve of mine. Next week, all the games are divisional matchups, which I hate because you basically ruin all the rivalries. The game means nothing. They could play earlier in the season, and now the game means absolutely zero for a lot of those teams. So I don't like that next week, but otherwise uh, I'm good. All right, so you're the Grinch when it comes to the schedule for next week. We should make mention on last week's program, we did dip our toe into the bowl game, some of the early bowl games. Congratulations to Kevin. He had Eastern Michigan in their bowl game, even though they lost the game with Georgia Southern on the last second field goal. They did cover the number there uh, with the one-point loss, so kudos to you on that one. Um, And then also an NFL underdog for you as well with the Tennessee Titans. I also had the Steelers. We both had outright winners. The Titans with the very impressive road win against the Giants. I had the Steelers uh, as a home underdog against the New England Patriots. And that was the fifth time in the last six weeks where we have gotten at least two NFL underdogs correct on this show. So when we're pointing towards the NFL underdogs in the final segment here, pay particular attention to those. More on the pro football talk Uh, later on in the program, including Alex Marvez will be here. And you know that name, Kevin, and a lot of NFL fans that are listening to us have read him for a long time all over the place, uh, whether locally in South Florida with the Miami area newspapers or nationally on FoxSports.com or as well on SportingNews.com. Alex now with Sirius XM's NFL radio channel does a great job as a host. Really been about 25, 30 years covering the National Football League. So does a great job. I look forward to hearing from him when we talk some football later and you and I are going to talk some pro football a little bit later on in the program. But I want to talk some bowls, and we'll get into some bowl game predictions here in a couple of moments. It will not die down. You cannot kill it. It still lives, the whole uh, college football playoff. And look, uh, on the surface here, I have said this for years. They love the screaming. They love the debate. It's what fuels the interest in these games. So the screaming has continued for another week since you and I talked last, Kevin. And that is because now we're hearing Jim Delaney, the Big Ten commissioner, speak out. Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, speak out that we need to have a different system, a greater system, more playoff teams, etc. It won't go away. What are your thoughts as the debate continues on? Will we see change here in the in the near term and have the playoff expanded? What do you think? Well, what does Larry Scott care? The Pac-12 is not getting any teams in any way. But uh, <laughs> besides, besides that, though, 
I mean, I think we all know that 16 is way too much. And, and I know people say, oh, you get to 8, you need 16, and you keep going and going. I think people know that eight's the magic number with this whole thing. That four in today's college football is just not enough. I mean, you can have two elite teams and six really good teams, which is the case. It feels like past Alabama and Clemson, you have six really good teams that can argue for the two spots. So put them all in. And, and like we talked about in the last few weeks, even with UCF, have UCF in the middle of that, too, if they're undefeated. See what they can do against these big teams that don't want to schedule them. And then if they get punched in the mouth, then we know they don't belong. So I just think that you can have it. The conference championships are an absolute waste. We all know that it's just a moneymaker. And if you got rid of those and you substituted that, in a sense, with more playoff games, I don't think people would have a problem with that. I know people – the Big wigs would have a problem with it because they're not making as much money, but I just don't see why you can't dump those. No one cares about those games and just make it an 18 playoff, have a three weekend playoff. And you know what? Even go for, go a step further. I don't know if you want to have these teams play, you know, one through four, have a home field advantage or have all the games be neutral. I was just going to say, all right, so let's go on to that premise. One of the things that's being kicked around is exactly what you said, do away with conference championship games. Here's the first problem with that. Let me set everybody straight because I see this debate all over the Internet. You know, we had Tim Brando on this show uh, recently. He's one of the big outspoken critics. There are some others. The first thing is the SEC is never getting rid of their championship game. And by never, I mean never. It is a multi, multi multi-million dollar profitable situation for them. They're not getting rid of that game. You're not you're not going to be able to talk them into getting rid of that game. So they're going to play one more week. It's just a matter of who else wants to play one more week or not. And and look, I would submit this. I know what you mean about by and large the championship games look like they're a waste, but I mean Oklahoma played their way into the playoff by winning that championship game. If they had lost to Texas, they would not be in the college football playoff. So you can, and there have been some teams that have played their way in over the course of the last couple of years. Very famously, the first CFP Ohio State annihilated Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. The committee was overwhelmed by that and said, okay, put them in. They won the national title. They beat Alabama. They beat Oregon. So there is some value to that. So the first thing is you're not going to be able to strike all of the conference championship games because the SEC won't go along with it. The second thing becomes how do you do the quarterfinals, the playing of the eight? So on that point, do you think everybody will go along with the top four seeds the second weekend in December will host games and that that's how you'll play the quarterfinals? Do you think we can get there in the next few years that that would be it? Because this other stuff about staggered bowl games and when you play it, it it's not going to work. That's what that's what it would have to be, wouldn't it? That you're going to do home sites for the quarterfinals the week after the championship games. What do you think? I don't have a problem with that. And you know what, too? In a sense, you're rewarding the teams that finish in the top four. Instead of Alabama playing the eight seed at a neutral site, now they get another home game where it's like, hey, you want to get in the scene, you want to beat Alabama, you got to beat them um, at their home site. You know, So I don't have a problem with that. But also, didn't we have this issue with the BCS? We had a championship, and then we figured out how to expand it to four, and they did that so they could do another weekend and in all reality, oh, so much for the players. I, I don't even know. Like, I, I, This is only better for the game. This doesn't make the game worse. I don't think anybody's going to say, no, we don't want eight because there's going to be more football. We don't want more football. I mean, everybody knows this whole thing is a business and that we just can't turn our face away from it. That yeah. to have an extra weekend of games, I just don't see that that's a problem. 
Yeah, the the concern also is academically. The exams are always oh, the second academic. week. I understand. I understand. But the illusion has to be there that there's academics. There's exams the second week in December. So would you be preparing for those playoff games? Because here's the other farce. I mean, you hear all these people say, "Oh, you got to have the 18 playoff, and you use the bowl games as a quarterfinal." Well, well, first of all, you got to work out the agreement with which bowl games are going to be your quarterfinal games, and they're going to be two weeks before what your championship game would be. Where are they being played? How? How is that worked out? Who are the haves and who are the have-nots? And here's another thing, and you got to think about this in terms of competitiveness. Okay, let's say you put an LSU into the playoff, all right, under this year's scenario. They didn't win their division. They didn't play in a uh, championship game, in the SEC championship game. You would now have them wait three or four weeks against a team that theoretically did play in a championship game and go play at a home site, not immediately after the championship game, but three weeks later at a home site. What kind of shot are you really going to have in that game when when you've been that stale? At least if both teams are stale for a month and they're playing on a neutral field, that might be a little bit different in a bowl game. I just, I've never understood how you would work it out. They worked it out with the bowl rotation of the New Year's Six to have the semifinals. And it took heaven and earth for like five years coming out of the BCS to figure out how are we going to do it when the TV deal expires. So, uh, again, it's great for the debate. It's great for getting everybody hyped up and talking college football in December because that's what they're still doing in December about who should have been in and should we expand the playoff. And I think... You and I had this conversation, I think, last week. I've talked about it other places, too, though, so I'm just trying to refresh on what all we've covered. I don't. You, I think you agree with me. I don't have to see a Pac-12 champion that has three losses. I don't have to see an at-large team like LSU that had three losses. I, I mean, that to me, the one loss or no losses are essentially the litmus test of, okay, these are the best teams. In this year's case, you would have theoretically been taking teams with three losses into that eight-team format. I don't know that we have to have that. I think there's a strong argument to say that we shouldn't have that. Kevin, one more thought. Well, but uh, the other thing, too, is that I just want to go to this for a second. You, know, you talk about Washington's a three-loss team. Yep. Why don't you have eight teams where, in a sense, every team is a shot at the championship? What I mean by this is, you know, the same thing in the NCAA tournament. If you are Bethune-Cookman, for instance, if you got in as an automatic bid winning your conference, hypothetically you can win the whole thing. You probably aren't, but you can get in. Here's my point. If you have the, let's go, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12. And SEC is the fifth one. SEC, Mountain West, MAC, and and, uh, the USA and American. Let's just say if you had eight of those teams, every champion got in that in a sense, every team has a chance to win the national championship, which would be good, even though obviously they probably won't win out of Conference USA or the Mountain West, but at least they get in. Like if Boise State was in there, they have a shot to get to the national championship. So then you throw out the wild cards. You throw out all the, well, Georgia was close. Well, guess what? You didn't win the championship. If you would have beaten Alabama, you'd be in the top eight. Because you didn't, sorry, you're out. So, that's what it is. You win your conference, and if you then you keep the conference championships because then it means something. You win that, then you get into that top. Here's eight, the all right. I got you on. I got card. you on the premise, but here's the flaw with that that we keep coming back to. Let's say two unbeaten's in the SEC title game, for example, and the loser loses the championship game. 
the tough the tough sell, the impossible sell, is how is a three-loss, under this premise, let's say, how is a three-loss Pac-12 or a three-loss ACC champion going to be distinguished as better than an SEC team that may have rolled through the regular season but just not won the championship game and that's their only loss? There we get into more of the debates, the beauty contest, a vote, a subjective process. So I really believe the way they're doing it is the right way. Keep keep something else in mind. And Kevin, you know this. I'm not lecturing you. I'm just saying this to the audience here on Three Dog Thursday. Keep something else in mind. They have a 13-person committee that's made up of a cross-section across the country, so regional biases don't come in. They have all kinds of different backgrounds, whether it's in administration or former coaches, athletic directors, conference commissioners, those kind of things. They're all mixed in, and they're all discussing this under certain parameters and guidelines, just like the NCAA tournament. It's not like those 13 people showed up on the final weekend, shook hands and said hello for the first time, and then just did an immediate secret ballot. They've been meeting discussing and debating the merits of all the teams for about six or eight weeks before they get to that very final vote. They even give you a peek, obviously, from week to week as to what they're thinking and how they've ranked the teams to that point with what they're thinking. My point on that is there's a lot of effort going into the subjective part of who are the best. It is not being spit out by a computer. It is not It is not something that they are just suddenly doing on the final weekend. So I am actually fine with the current process saying less is more. We don't have to have quantity to make it better. I think they, they have, by and large, done a really good job of saying these are the four best. Obviously, they picked Alabama a year ago as an at-large team that didn't win a conference championship, and the Tide validated them by winning the whole thing as as it turned out. So I, I trust them more. I trust the 13 individuals more meeting regularly and having the spirited debates and giving us a peek at their process. And look, they may even revise it as they go along. Uh, you know, keep in, keep in mind, LSU was initially put in the top four at the beginning and they lost a game and they moved them out of the top four and they, they moved teams in and around. And so uh, we'll we'll see on that point. You have hey, any other follow up? Before, before yeah. we continue, yeah. But my, here's my question, and I'm going back to college basketball for a second. You, know, you saw what Loyola Chicago did last year. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, you say it's fluky or whatever you want to say. There was still a chance there. I feel like we're eliminating about six conferences, and basically, if you're in the SEC or if you're Clemson or Ohio State, you're the only teams that have a chance to win a championship year in and year out. And I'm not trying to defend UCF, but my thing is, if you've done what you're was asked to be done of you no one wants to schedule you you don't lose a game at least get a shot at least see what you can do and if alabama or clemson destroys you all right fine you don't belong in there but at least you have a shot so all these teams like i mean your memphis tigers all these teams have no shot every single year it feels like because it's not about four versus eight it's just about we have to squeeze them out and only have the best but no one else if they have the track record can get in Well, keep one more thing in mind on that, and it's a valid point, is if you see this thing expand in the next two or three years, there is not going to be a guarantee for the group of five, the non-Power Five conferences. They are not going to get a guaranteed seat in the eight. What they're going to be told is the same thing they've been told for for the four, which is if you are worthy, if that committee believes you are worthy, they will put you in. The same thing. So... 
Uh, again, it, it's fallacy. You're sitting here right now debating something not based in reality. Not you again, Kevin, but you, anybody that's out there. You're debating something that is not in reality, that there's going to be a guarantee for the American, for the Mountain West, for Conference USA, for Conference uh, if somebody like the WAC or, or anybody else that's playing college football. There's not, there's not going to be a rubber stamp. The best group of five team is automatically in. They're going to have a contingency of we have to have certain criteria that you meet, and then if we vote you in, you're going to get in. Here's one more, too. Notre Dame is not in a conference, and they should resolve that as well because that's a subjective part of this because one of the, one of the other criticisms, real quick, Kevin, is that Notre Dame didn't have to play a championship game and only played 12 games where an Oklahoma had to prove it a 13th time. So did a Clemson. So did an Alabama ultimately to win their game. You got to deal with that too because they get to pick their own schedule. They don't have a 13th game. That's a subjective part of this. And that committee subjectively put them in this go around and we'll see how the... uh, how the Irish do on that front. Uh, All right, so we've got college underdogs coming up. we got bowl games here in just a second. A reminder, Three Dog Thursday is brought to you by FanPlayoff.com. Kevin, fantasy football seasons are ending all over the place uh, right now with championship weekend. You can play postseason NFL fantasy football for free like you never have before. Redraft your players just like the start of the actual season. Play it at FanPlayoff.com. Go there now, check it out, sign up, get ready to draft as the regular season ends, the postseason with fanplayoff.com is about to begin. Again, play postseason fantasy football like you never have before. It's free. Check it out at fanplayoff.com. To the bowl games, my friend. Again, kudos with Eastern Michigan last weekend. So you're one for one. Again, we're kind of in the period where before all the power conference teams are playing, that is more early next week, middle of next week. We got a lot of MAC, a lot of Mountain West, a lot of American Conference, CUSA games that are going on for this weekend. Where do you want to begin with a college football bowl game underdog? We're each going to do one. What do you like? Well, Saturday is the uh, granddaddy of them all, the Dollar General Bowl. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, establishments, Dollar General. You know, I, I and, have said, I've said for years, if it's not the Rose Bowl on my TV, it's the Dollar General Bowl. Continue. Yes, and it's the Southern Bowl game, you know, but uh, it's in Mobile, Alabama, between Troy and Buffalo. Buffalo is a short favorite in this game, and Buffalo – was on its way to winning the MAC title. They had a great season. They were up big on Northern Illinois, and they just blew it. Northern Illinois came back and, and shocked them in the fourth quarter of that game. And we saw Northern Illinois kind of uh, left it all out in the field in that one because they got blown up by UAB in the Boca Raton Bowl on Tuesday. But I just look at Buffalo and I say, wow, like losing that game, I don't know how they're motivated to play in this game against Troy, and Troy is, is a very good team out of the Sun Belt. They got killed in their opener by Boise State, who's a very good team. They lost in their final game against Appalachian State, who we saw uh, oh. destroyed Middle Tennessee yep. in the uh, New Orleans Bowl. And they had another loss to Liberty, who actually was uh, a, a bit of a you know a surprise this year uh, moving up to the FBS level. So those are their three losses on the season. Troy is a pretty solid team playing close to home. And I just look at Buffalo, I don't know how motivated they are for this game after losing the MAC title and being relegated to this one. Well, you mentioned uh, they're in the conference, uh, or at least that bowl win, um, by Appalachian State in the, um, 
in the New Orleans Bowl, I had Middle Tennessee last week. I was believing I was drinking the Kool-Aid having seen Middle Tennessee in person a couple of weeks ago with a six-year quarterback, a veteran quarterback, the son of the coach playing his final game with the Appalachian State coaching change that they were going to be in great shape. But, Kevin, it just goes to show you, you don't really know anymore what to expect in these bowl games. After two or three weeks off where teams haven't played, some of them will come out flat. Some of them have made coaching changes. So it's it's uh, it's tough to gauge, and especially as you get later in the process to late December in those New Year's Day games, you don't know. I mean, a year ago, UCF had had the perfect season, as an example. Scott Frost had taken the Nebraska job, and everybody talked. Remember, we were even talking on this show on Three Dog Thursday. What kind of a distraction is that going to be? This is kind of unprecedented that the whole coaching staff is basically going to leave and go to Nebraska for a couple of weeks and then come back and practice with UCF, and they're going to practice for a couple of weeks, and then they're going to coach him in the bowl game. What's that going to look like? Well, it looked great. I think I think most people were shocked. I was shocked at how good they looked when all that went on in December. So, um, again, uh, you know, give credit where it's due on, on teams being able to figure it out, but sometimes it's hard to gauge. Players get suspended, coach leaves and goes somewhere else. I mean, Appalachian State, you would have thought, with their coach having left, would have fallen completely apart. Did not happen uh, last week as they blew out Middle Tennessee State, so it's just something to take a look at. All right, so you'll go with Troy, the Troy Trojans, in that matchup with the Buffalo Bulls. That one, again, in Mobile, Alabama on Saturday. I've looked at a couple of games. The Bahamas Bowl on Friday at the time that we're talking uh, here on Three Dog Thursday, and you may be listening later in the weekend and already know the results. I'm going to stay away from uh, FIU, Florida International, as the underdog with uh, FIU getting four and a half points in that matchup against Toledo. So uh, Middle Tennessee, I guess, just scared me off from that conference. So I won't be taking FIU in that one. My alma mater, Memphis, is playing Wake Forest in Birmingham. I'm not going to go against them. I'm actually, Kevin, going to fast forward to next Wednesday. This will count before Three Dog Thursday. Post-Christmas, there is a game being played in Dallas, and that is the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl. Here again, we love the sponsor names. This is at the Cotton Bowl Stadium in Dallas. They don't even play the Cotton Bowl anymore, by the way, at Cotton Bowl Stadium. But Cotton Bowl Stadium in downtown Dallas will have Boston College and Boise State playing in the afternoon post-Christmas. BC out of the Atlantic Coast Conference playing Boise State, the runner-up out of the Mountain West. Uh, Boston College with A.J. Dillon, the outstanding running back. They've given a contract extension to Steve Adazio, the coach. I know BC had three losses to end the year, one of them a crazy finish where they lost in the final couple of minutes at Florida State. They were also beaten decisively by Clemson and also by a good Syracuse team, but they have some wins earlier in the year, a couple of them, one over Miami and a couple of other good wins. Dillon can run the ball. Boise State suffered a heartbreaking loss at home, they could have won the Mountain West title, but Fresno State beat them in Boise in the final uh, moments, beat them actually in overtime uh, in that matchup uh, to knock them out of the Mountain West. I'll take Boston College on the neutral field post-Christmas against Boise State, getting the two and a half points. Give me the ACC in that matchup. That is coming up now a few days from now, right after Christmas and before we're back on Three Dog Thursday. So that'll be my college bowl game for this weekend. All right, so are we good on the bowls, or do we need to talk uh, any more about some of these other? I mean, are you good, or you need some quick lane bowl conversation? Minnesota, Georgia Tech. Are you good on the SoFi Hawaii Bowl on Christmas Eve? Hawaii, Louisiana Tech. Are we good on the bowl games for right now, Kevin? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, the only thing I was going to ask you for up the quick lane bowl is it like a is it like a rule that Minnesota has to get seven guys suspended every year before their bowl? Yeah, it seems that way. And PJ Fleck just got a new contract extension despite a six and six agent, uh, six and six season. You and I need a new agent, I think, or we need agents because row if, the boat. Yeah, row, row the, the boat. row the boat to six and six and get yourself a new contract. Uh, yeah, but I mean that's another factor on these games too is that who gets suspended, who's academically ineligible. I mean, just wait, especially with these New Year's six games. You're going to see guys suspended, kicked off the team. They're out too late. They break curfew. That's going to happen, too, in and around the uh, the bowl mix. Kevin Kevin is not exactly salivating for the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl coming in Fort Worth, Texas this, this weekend, too. We'll leave some of those bowl games alone. Again, he's got Troy for the Saturday game in Mobile, and I've got Boston College early next week. Kevin, stand by. We've got Alex Marvez coming up to talk NFL uh, here in all the wild playoff scenarios. Kevin will be back to talk pro football with me in the final segment it is the only digital radio show devoted exclusively to underdogs it's three dog thursday we'll be back three dog thursday brought to you in part by smackapparel.com for a great in your face college theme and nfl theme tees go to smackapparel.com and take 10 percent off with the promo code three dog for three dog thursday it's smackapparel.com and the promo code three dog Dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. Rolling right along. Lots of football, lots of holiday time. I have been looking forward to getting the chance to talk to this man. He has been so busy. He has told me that not unlike some of these 10-part miniseries that you see now all over the place on the internet, on cable, he is working on his masterpiece for the Sirius XM NFL Radio end-of-the-year special because he's that kind of guy, he's that talented. Love the work and have for a long time of Alex Marvez, who is back with me in this form on Three Dog Thursday and on the podcast. How are you? Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. How are you? How's the crew? How is everything? Everything is great, and thank you for plugging that special to be available on demand via the SiriusXM app coming up a little bit later this weekend, and it'll debut on our airwaves on December 24th, but it's wild when you look back at the year that was in the NFL. I mean, for example, trying to cover the Cleveland Browns, and and you think back to everything that happened, and you forget about things. You know what I mean? It's like almost everything that's going on with this team right now, you forget, oh, yeah, Josh Gordon was with these guys. Oh, yeah, Michael Kendricks, he got popped for insider trading and got cut. Oh, yeah, they traded away all their quarterbacks from the past couple seasons. Oh, yeah, they they did this. They got to Marius Randall. I mean, all these little things that you end up forgetting, they come flooding back to you when you do these year-in-review shows. And you know, there, there's some teams that are still the same as it ever was as 2018 ends. The Cincinnati Bengals, it's almost like a repeat from what we saw last year. But then there are some others that have undergone some pretty radical transformations. And the playoffs this year, I'll tell you this, TJ, as we head toward the postseason, I, I just think it's more wide open than it's really ever been. There's no front runner in the AFC at this point. The key is going to be whether New England can get that home field advantage, uh, you know, at least for one round. I mean, they have never made a Super Bowl in the Belichick-Brady era when they've had to go on the road in the postseason. So is New England going to finally be toppled, and then who fills their place? And then in the NFC side, well, you feel okay about the Saints. They, they come out and they beat you know Carolina the way that they did, but this offense hasn't been as dynamic as it was earlier in the season. There was a reason they signed Des Bryant. They were worried about you know the wide receiver receiver spot and are and where the difference makers if teams try to take Michael Thomas out of the equation and you know you see Carolina kudos to them for having a great game but I tell you I just think the Saints they're they're vulnerable I know that everyone talks about them being you know almost unbeatable
unbeatable inside the Louisiana Superdome. Well, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers mm-hmm. beat them inside there in week one. I think another team can beat them again. Do we trust the Rams? Do we trust the Bears? Do, is there a wild card team that's going to pop up here? It is just so wide open, and I think that's what's made it, one of the reasons this 2018 season has been so much fun and it's going to get even better. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, okay, so for the AFC wild card picture, the second wild card, because Kansas City or the L.A. Chargers are going to get one of the wild cards, it is up for grabs. And out of all the things you listed of the craziness of the Browns season, the fact that we are sitting here talking midweek in week 16 that Cleveland is now alive for the wild card <laughs> may be the funniest, most bizarre part of the whole tale at the very end. I guess, one, what do you pin this on? Is it is it the coaching change to Greg Williams? Is, is that the biggest thing? Is it Baker Mayfield's play with Kitchens as the new offensive coordinator improving because of it? Uh, is the dog pound magic finally back a little bit? How are they still in the picture here? Because comically, they are. And if they win, if I understand this, if they win Sunday, they more than likely still are around and can't be eliminated until next week. I know there's a lot of permutation, permutations yeah. there, but what, what about it? Yeah, they'd be pulling for for Indianapolis and Tennessee to lose this weekend, and then that's a tie, okay, between those two teams on Week 17, and then the Browns would be able to sneak into playoffs. Listen, that's incredible. The post, the, it is. It is. Look, it's just the fact we're talking, like you say, the, the playoffs and the Browns in Week 16 is an amazing story onto itself. Listen, we all thought there was going to be improvement this year, right? I mean, you, you got to be better than 0-16 and, and win some games. But I think that you know it, it became pretty obvious that Hugh Jackson just wasn't really contributing what the Cleveland Browns wanted. And, you know, the handwriting was on the wall with him. And, and understand this, Jimmy Haslam, the owner, wanted to give him a shot. You know, that, if John Dorsey were coming in, I'm pretty sure, knowing John, knowing the situation, that he would have made a head coaching change a long time ago. It wasn't until Hugh went behind John Dorsey's back and said, I want to take back the play calling from Todd Haley, that ownership said, look, enough's enough. That's it. We're done. And then it, everyone was able to, to move on. Hugh goes to Cincinnati, may very well end up being the next head coach of the Bengals in this bizarre world that we live in in Cincinnati. But for the Browns, Greg Williams, the right coach at the right time. I don't think he's the long-term fix there. I don't think John Dorsey may necessarily think he's the long-term fix there. That's not to say he wouldn't hire him. I think Freddie Kitchens may be the offensive coordinator that they go forward with. But first, you've got to see, look, if, if an offensive-minded coach you know, blows you away, well, are you going to still keep Freddie Kitchens at that point? Why are you hiring the offensive-oriented coach? But what's happened is, you know, some of the young players that have arrived on this team in recent seasons started to step up. Miles Garrett, 12 and a half sacks. He's been an absolute demon for that team. Uh, you, you know, the acquisition of Jarvis Landry has been tremendous. He's, he's such a consistent wide receiver. Nick Chubb has had a really nice rookie season. And then you throw in Baker Mayfield. And I talked to Miles Garrett about this on my Sirius XM show, and Miles, I asked him, what are you most optimistic about for 2019? He says, well, we can trust the offense, and that's largely because of Baker. I mean, he's won over his teammates. He's still a growing quarterback. He's going to make those mistakes. TJ, he loves to throw that seam route. The problem, all the defenses know he's no defenses, though. He loves to throw that seam route. He saw the Broncos pick him off the other night, but the kid's unflappable. He goes 7 of 18 in the first half against Denver, comes back in the second half, he's 11 of 13. I mean, that's the thing you love about him. He's got that type of mental toughness to be able to rebound from some of the early mistakes that he's making. So I just think that, that you look at the age of this team, $80 million in salary cap space available going into the offseason, and they could always even create more. On top of that, 11 draft picks. You know, I mean, this is a Browns team that is really starting to load up. And, you know, the best is yet to come, in my opinion, by the lake. Hey, real quick, because I want to move on to the other teams in that wild card mix. If Greg Williams wins one of these games, is he the coach? If he wins both, he has to be 
The interim, or, or am I crazy here? He has to be the You're coach. Crazy. You're crazy. It's a short. I think it's a short-term fix. I That's think Greg it? Williams okay. is now. Yeah, it is. But here's the thing, TJ. At least he would put himself out there in the universe of okay. Well, Greg Williams is a viable head coaching candidate again. I, I just I don't see the Browns sticking with Greg Williams for the long term. I could be proven wrong on this, but but my my gut. And some other things are telling me that I really think that, that it'll probably be a short-term thing. But, hey, nothing wrong with that for Greg Williams. And, and look, he may be given the chance to stay as defensive coordinator like Vic Fangio was in Chicago uh, when Vic was passed over for the head coaching job that went to Matt Nagy. Who's to say? But, again, Greg Williams, you talk about rehabbing an image. Man, TJ, that was a tremendous thing that he did this year because now we don't talk about Greg Williams and Bounty Gate as so much as we talk about him leading this Browns resurgence. I love it. Alex Marvez with me here. Just a few more minutes. Sirius XM NFL Radio, the late hit show and on other various shows. He's a great follow on social media. Has been in the NFL and the NFL circles for many, many years, writing in South Florida and writing nationally. Love his work. Love his insight. And at some point, he and I are just going to do like 30 minutes on a podcast and talk nothing but 1980s wrestling. That will love happen it. at some point <laughs> down the road. It's not happening today, but it will happen somewhere down the road because we're both passionate about that. But this is a different forum and a different time. All right, so in the AFC, uh, it is still a, a real mix and a real mess of four different teams, arguably, that could end up with that. And, and the Browns make a fifth, could end up with that last wild card. Handicap it for me. Who comes out of that pack and ends up being that final wild card team, if you had to predict, with two weeks to go, the other wild card besides either the Chargers or Kansas City? What do you think? Well, you know, I, I think my head is telling me Indianapolis and Tennessee, right? One of those two teams will end up getting in. But my heart's sort of telling me, man, the Baltimore Ravens are so gritty, right? And the crazy part for them, they may not just be, you know, confined to the so-called wild card role, right? I mean, if Pittsburgh loses Sunday to New Orleans and they are an underdog and Baltimore upsets the Chargers, well, suddenly the Ravens are that team that's in first place in the AFC North as they host, by the way, the Cleveland Browns, <laughs> a team that beat them earlier this season in Week 17. You know, this Ravens team is interesting, TJ, because last year, Week 17, all they have to do is beat the Bengals. Bengals, nothing to play for. They lose to Cincinnati. They're out of the playoffs. Week 16, 2016 season, you beat the Steelers, you're going to probably win the division. They lose. Pittsburgh ends up taking the division, and Baltimore misses the postseason once again. So, you know, is this Ravens team going to be able to, to generate some Week 16, Week 17 17-type magic and go into the playoffs. That's one of the big things for me. The Dolphins are sitting there. It's been, uh, you know, I mean, they're just they're not a good team. And, you know, the, the, the thing that helps them, Jacksonville this week, an even worse team right now, closing out its season with Cody Kessler. Aye, 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 aye. So, I mean, I figure the Dolphins go to 8-7, and seven, but can they go up to Buffalo and win? A house of horrors, New Era Field, uh, I'm not so sure about that one. And that leaves us with the Colts and the Titans. And, you know, Indianapolis, listen, Frank Reich, he's going to get head coach of the year consideration. He has put a complete face over, a, a face, you know, he's, he's really done that team, a facelift on that team, so to speak. And you think about where they were when we talk about year-end stories. I mean, they're getting snubbed by Josh McDaniels. They're the laughingstock of the NFL after, you know, he turns them down after agreeing to take the job. All of a sudden, though, it's interesting, too, because Frank Reich, he, he started the year not as smart as how he is now. Perception-wise, and here's why I say that. You know, nobody was really giving Frank Reich a whole heck of a lot of credit for, the, for what Philadelphia was doing on the offensive side of the football. Doug Peterson was getting a lot of props. John DeFilippo, the quarterback's coach, you know, everyone loved him. And he goes on to, to the Minnesota Vikings, and we saw what happens there. Got fired a week ago. But Frank Reich, I really think, was underestimated with the great job that he did developing that team. Underestimated no more. And by the way, keep an eye on Matt Eberflus. His defensive coordinator is a potential head coach yep. in 2019. He will be a very hot name. 
Tennessee, listen, I love the direction right now. They're running the football. They found something there. Losing Logan Ryan in the secondary was hurtful. But Tennessee, listen, the schedule now, you know, getting to play the Redskins at home and then getting to host the Colts, it would seem to favor them. So I think Tennessee or Indianapolis probably going to be that other team that sneaks in. Baltimore, I just – I mean, look, the Chargers are usually the ones that lose the big game, but I actually think they get the job done on Saturday. In yeah, it's a, it's a Saturday night game, and I saw the Ravens at field level in the cold and the rain at M&T Bank Stadium last Sunday with the Buccaneers radio broadcast and Lamar Jackson. I mean, say what you want. Hey, just uh, reinforce this, please, uh, because we talk about this all the time, but again, you're, you're somebody that I rely on for this insight and this knowledge. Coaching matters. Whether you're talking about Nagy with the Bears taking over that situation, uh, McVay and his staff and Wade Phillips taking over the Rams two years ago. Harbaugh has changed the scheme, the play calling, all of it around Lamar Jackson, and they've won four out of five and are in playoff position because of it. It was by necessity because Jackson's skill set is different. He's a rookie. Coaching matters. They've won four out of five. They may they may have a chance to win this game against the Chargers, win five out of six and be in the playoffs because they were willing to adapt and adjust. That's me. Say more about that situation in Baltimore, if you would, real quick. Oh, I, you are so right, TJ. I'm really appreciative of you saying that. And listen, I think it's going to put Greg Roman back on the map as an NFL offensive coordinator because clearly his fingerprints are all over this rushing attack. It's a lot of the same stuff that Greg did with Colin Kaepernick back in 2012 and in Colin's second season, pistol formation, just things that are just unusual for an NFL team as far as, you know, the, the running the football part of it. And, you know, listen, they've averaged 230.4 yards in the past five games. They're the first team since the 1976 Steelers to rush for at least 190 yards and five straight. And Lamar Jackson, the first quarterback since the immortal Joe Nary in 1950 with the Steelers, he had 14 <laughs> or more rushes for four games in a season. Look, this isn't sustainable. I get that, but who cares? Worry about 2019 when 2019 comes. Get in the playoffs in 2018 and and see if any teams have the ability to stop you because that defense doesn't need all that heck of a lot, of, not that much support, you know, to get things going. And by the way, what if the Ravens make the playoffs and they unveil a Joe Flacco package and suddenly they're throwing the football all over the place and they're giving you a curveball? They may be going to that at some point. I mean, and, and, and you, may, you, may, you nailed it because, you know, TJ, you know, coaches sometimes are set in their ways and they're inflexible and they're not able to make things work. I'm sure if there was another coaching staff involved in this, maybe Lamar is forced to become a dropback passer, so he's like Joe Flacco, some, an area where he's just not comfortable at at this point in his career. The Ravens coaches adjusted rather than try to put all of it on a player. Kudos to them, and that's one of the reasons I think John Harbaugh sticks as head coach in the future. We will continue the conversation with Alex Marvez of Sirius XM NFL Radio in a moment. But first, are you healthy? Are you young? And do you think you're maybe paying too much for your health insurance? Guess what? If you're young and you're healthy, you probably are. How would you like the possibility of saving on health insurance premiums by as much as 40 or 50% every month? You'd go for that, right? I think a lot of us would. Again, whether you on a, you've got a family plan or an individual plan, you need to investigate a little further the, the fact that your health insurance may be too costly for you right now for what you're getting in return. You're paying too much for something that you don't really get any extra benefit out of. In fact, contact the folks at U.S. Health. They've got a nationwide PPO that is ready to go. It is from Cigna, and you're going to lower your deductible 
uh, as well to almost nothing in most cases. They've got a great deal, a great offer. A lot of people are evaluating, uh, should I change health insurance here at the end of the year for 2019? Again, if you're healthy, if you're young, look into U.S. Health and go to this specific site. We want you to contact a specific agent. Go to USH for U.S. Health, ushagent.com slash Zach. Z-A-C-H. Again, go to ushagent.com slash Zach to save as much as 40 or 50% on your premiums. The deductible is going to go way down. And again, this is this is not some uh, insurance plan that you've never heard. It's a nationwide PPO through Cigna that Zach's going to tell you more about. Again, ushagent.com slash Zach is the email address we want you to go to. U.S. Health. Why not save more if you're young and healthy on your premiums Uh, going into 2019 with U.S. Health? You can do it. Over in the NFC, you already alluded to the Saints look like, I mean, they're in the driver's seat to be the number one seed. Again, I saw them a couple of weeks ago as well at field level, and they're winning with defense and run game the last couple of weeks too, which is scary. You find different ways to win. I'm with you, though, because the Rams losing at home to the Eagles back on Sunday night. I I know the Bears, but it's a new coaching staff, and you get into the second season. What's going to happen with that? The Cowboys intrigue me. I'll see them this week with the Buccaneers. And then there's a wild card team, maybe like Seattle or like Philadelphia. Or whoever, and then you then you wonder, could a wild card team make a run and really challenge the Saints, if not win the NFC, Alex? It appears to really be wide open. It does. And, you know, Seattle's one of those teams, although I think Seattle, it's, a, it's an interesting matchup league, right, when it comes to Seattle, because they're so good at running the football, but the pass protection breaks down when, when they have to throw or they're not playing with a lead. So, you know, it's, I, and I, I, I don't want to be cliche with that, but, you know, there are certain teams that they're going to match up better against. Like, for example, if their passing attack was more credible, I think they could actually, you know, beat the Kansas, Kansas City Chiefs by a decent amount on Sunday night. I think Kansas City, though, because their, their front seven is pretty stout against the run, they can handle it. That's going to, you know, it's a matchup that doesn't favor Seattle. Do we trust the Chicago Bears away from Soldier Field? I don't. You know, even though Mitch Trubisky's won six straight games, they're a different team playing at home, and right now they're only going to get one home playoff game unless the Los Angeles Rams should stumble in their final couple games, and I just don't see that happening with the Rams facing Arizona on Sunday and ending their season against against the 49ers. So, you know, I mean, again, Dallas, you know, Dallas, they have that tendency, TJ, to lose focus against teams that they don't have a long history with. You saw it in week two against Denver in the 2017 season. If you remember one of the worst games you'd ever see from the Cowboys, same thing you saw against the Colts last week. And I think, and in talking to, um, I'm talking to Anthony Costanzo, the Colts left tackle about this. He said the Colts were so prepared for the Cowboys because it's the same defense that Matt Eberflus uses, you know, in Indianapolis that he was part of when he was linebackers coach of the Cowboys. So nothing Dallas did surprised him, and they were able to rush for 170 yards. Kudos to them. I think the Cowboys bounce back against the Bucks this week, get to nine and six, clinch this division. You know, Philadelphia, they're they're just so beat up. I, I don't have faith in them. I have no idea how the Redskins are seven and seven. Jake Gruden <laughs> should probably win Coach of the Eternity for that. Minnesota, listen. And dangerous because if they start to run the football effectively, this team could make some noise in the postseason. So maybe if we're going to look at that long shot of making a little bit of a run, I'm not putting them in the Super Bowl, but maybe a team that can pull a first-round upset and get into the second round and cause some headaches, maybe the Vikings are that team. Yeah, maybe they are the underdog here for the Three Dog Thursday podcast. All right, Alex Marvez, again, Sirius XM NFL Radio. Year-end special is coming later this week. I love the uniqueness that it's available on the Sirius XM app first before you're going to hear it on the air as well in and around Christmas time coming off the weekend. Plug away. When else can we hear you? Uh, late hits right at night. And when else can we hear you on Sirius XM's NFL radio channel, sir? 
Well, when you're going to a Bucks game, check it out. Sirius XM tailgate show starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time every Sunday. That continues through uh, the Super Bowl. We've got Saturday morning weekend kickoff with Tim Brown. That's at 8 a.m. every Saturday. Late hits with the godfather Gil Brandt, 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesdays, 8 p.m. to midnight on Fridays. And Gil picks all the games and takes a ton of calls. Hall of Famer Bill Polian with me on Tuesday nights as well. And Thursday, well, you know, here and there. I mean, I work, I work some interesting shifts on Thursdays. But it'll usually be at night during the offseason doing some 11 a.m. 11 11 to 3 p.m. shifts coming up the next few weeks. You know, it's holiday time. I fill in for some folks and actually get a night off, which, which isn't bad. It happens like five times a year. Yeah, we love that for the family. And, of course, there's a Thursday night game uh, usually that's been on every week. And the Thursday night package right. has been better. The, pri- the primetime games have been tremendous and dramatic down the stretch of the season, by and large. Uh, and the NFL obviously is flexing its muscle with the uh, with the fans and with the interest and with what's going to happen in so many teams and so many scenarios still alive with a couple of weeks to go. I mean, uh, one more. You've done this for such a long time. I mean, we're not we're not headed to an ultimate showdown like we have in so many years of here's the best bona fide team in the NFC, the best bona fide team in the AFC, and that's good every once in a while. I think yes. Oh, yeah. No, listen, but listen, the Patriots are such a compelling story. And, and that's the thing that I'm, I'm watching over the next couple of weeks is, you know, do they have to go on the road? And if they do, is this really the end of an era? I mean, uh, one of the other media members uh, described Rob Gronkowski as looking like he's, he's running with a piano on his back. I mean, he's just he's become Jason Witten overnight. And I'm not talking about Jason Witten in the Monday, in the Monday night announcing booth. I'm talking about Jason Witten, his final season with the Cowboys. Yeah, he's going to catch his share of passes, but he's not going to dictate coverages anymore. I mean, this is the most vulnerable New England team that we've seen in some time. Of course, two weeks from now, if they beat the Bills and the Jets and Houston stumbles against Philadelphia in a monster Sunday game because they got the Jags, Houston does in Week 17 at home, you'd figure they'd win that game. But Houston has that inside track for home field, so we may be getting new blood with Deshaun Watson leading his team into the postseason. The L.A. Chargers, they might be the best all-around team in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes splashing on the scene in Kansas City. No one can get enough watching him, right? I mean, so, and, and you know, you got your tried and true teams. You know, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, you know, they've been established, but Lamar Jackson, is he going to get his moment in the sun in the playoffs? I mean, so it's, it's been really neat this year. You're right. I think New Orleans is still the team to beat, you know, in the, offs, in the, in the, in the NFC. And, TJ, fascinating stuff, man. They never have to leave the Dome. If they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers or they beat or they win on Sunday the following week against Atlanta, both of those home games, they will have secured home field advantage throughout the postseason. The only time they'd have to play again if they had to go on the road would be inside a Dome, but it would be the Mercedes-Benz Dome. How about that against yeah. against an AFC opponent inside? They don't leave. They don't leave indoors. Is what you're saying from there on out? If somebody's going to beat them, Correct. so that would be wild. Uh, listen, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. I know you got the little ones. They're all excited for this holiday time. Man, He's all over the place on late hits and on the weekend coverage as well on Sirius XM NFL Radio. Alex, thank you. A treat, and we look forward to watching all of this unfold, sir. At ten four, TJ. Thank you. Happy holidays. We do come back in once again on the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to those underdogs. Once more, thanks to Alex Marvez for being with us. Three Dog Thursday, by the way, being brought to you in part by Paradise Golf. Uh, Again, if you are looking to play golf, coming to Florida to get out of the cold, if you're a snowbird for the winter months, You'll want to check out the Paradise Golf Card that's available. Seven County of West Central Florida area that the Paradise Golf Card is good at more than 60 golf courses. You can find out more at paradise-golf.com. 
slash football. That's a special landing page on that website to find out more about how you can save half on the Paradise Golf Card. And even if you're just coming for the holidays, we're still in the holiday mode, Christmas, trying to get out of the cold through New Year's, etc., and you want to play golf, you'll find out more about Paradise Golf at paradise-golf.com slash football. Go to the site, check out the offer. It is a special discount just through us with Three Dog Thursday and Paradise Golf. Over 60 great courses in West Central Florida. Get out of the cold, go play some golf, sign up and save with Paradise Golf. All right, I'm going to call back in our senior handicapper from VegasInsider.com, Kevin Rogers. Lots of NFL conversation. I could tell earlier in the show you were frothing about the college football playoff conversation and the bowl games, but you are extra amped up. You're still aggravated like a week later at the Kansas City Chiefs. I know Alex Marvez was just talking about them and about the Chargers knocking them off and who's really uh, you know, the top team in the AFC. You're ready to launch right now on the launching pad right now about the Chiefs. Am I correct? No. I mean, yes and no. Yes, because the Chiefs blew that game and I had the Chiefs. But honestly, and I hate doing this because I just think it's really cheap, but I thought the officiating was terrible in that game. I thought it was absolutely awful. And you know what? If you go back, see, here's the problem. The Chiefs didn't lose the game on the final play. All right? And people say, oh, how is that possible? The Chargers scored late. They didn't lose on that play, TJ. What happened was they were 14 nothing. All right? If people remember this, the Chargers had a third and five or something inside the red zone. Inside, like, the, they were at the 20 or the 15 of Kansas City. Philip Rivers throws an incomplete pass. All right, no problem. Field goal, 14-3. They call a holding on the defensive back on the Chiefs, uh, I think on Antonio Gates, and it was so minor. Not even, I mean, I don't think he barely touched them. And it turned out instead of it being 14-3, possibly with a field goal, now a fresh set of downs, and two plays later the Chargers scored a touchdown. There are times like that I say, you got to be able to challenge that. And I understand it's a judgment call, but there are times where it's like, come on. Like, you're throwing a flag, and if it's not there, and we can see this with pass interference at times, guys get their legs tangled up, and it's interference. Or like, There are times you've got to take responsibility for that. You know, and that was just awful. Uh, and that, honestly, that changed the game. Because instead of it being 14-3, it was 14-7. There's a four-point swing. Instead of it being 28-21 at the end, it's 28-17. And it's just different. And well, I, I thought, if I can interject, I thought the call later in the game, late in the final 30 seconds where they gave him an automatic first down on the pass interference in the end zone, I thought that was questionable at best, if not a no call. Uh, what was it? It was I think it was Williams, Mike Williams, who eventually caught the winning two-point play, but he was leaping in the back of the end zone. And the, and did yeah, not catch it. Grab. Got his arm, but it did. He didn't really grab it. He kind of touched him. I right. thought that was ticky tack too. They had a bad night, and the the officiating has been shaky at times this season, especially in the national television games. And one of the things they're doing, Kevin, is on, and they've tried this on some of the national TV games, uh, prime time. They're mixing and matching the officiating crew and trying a different crew with the referee. And I don't know that that's necessarily working well. I think your point is valid, which is if we have a replay system for catch-no-catch, inbounds, out-of-bounds, can we have a challenge that says, my guy didn't touch him? You can even challenge on some plays, was the ball deflected for pass interference? You can throw the challenge flag for that if you want it reviewed. Are we going to come to the point where he didn't touch him? That shouldn't be interference. He didn't touch him. Let's replay it, review it. Are you an advocate for that, that we should have a challenge? You get two challenges. You want to save one for a challenge on a penalty call that, hey, my guy didn't touch him. Should we get to that point? What do you think? Yeah. You know why? 
get it right. Simple as that. If it takes an extra five minutes, we're going to sit around and wait for it. If it takes an extra five minutes to get it right, and it turned out he didn't get touched, then you got it right instead of it being, well, it's human error. That's always what I said about baseball. Oh, we can't have replays. Human- no, forget about that. You need to get the call right. And I understand this is really fast, a lot of big people running around there. There's a lot going on. I get football a tough sport to officiate with 22 guys out there, and there's everyone's grabbing each other, but you got to get it right. And I think something as simple as that changed the game because now all of a sudden you get a fresh set of downs where you would have been – You Kansas City made a stop and it should have been fourth down. So, you know, that's it, – it just to me, like, that stuff annoys me. And, yeah, the Chiefs blew a two-touchdown lead three times. They couldn't get out of the yep. shadow of their own goal post at the end, the final two minutes, you know. So I get all of that, but it's just like there's got to be changes made. It just can't be, well, that's the call, and we can't really explain it, but let's keep moving, you know. I, I understand on that, too. I think you and I are going to talk more about the Chiefs in a couple of minutes here for Three Dog Thursday purposes. Uh, one more, too. I keep hearing this, and I'm on, my, I'm on my soapbox a bunch of day, but I think you're agreeing, agreeing with me on this point. You cannot get rid of the high-definition slow-mo replay. It is now ingrained for us, and there's millions of dollars of technology that's been pumped into televising football where they slow it down, and you see all the different angles of, is he down? Did he make the first down line? Is he out of bounds? Is his foot on the line? If you are advocating let's have no more replay reviews, then you have to advocate we're not going to have any more instant replays. You're going to have to be all in with, hey, we're only showing you the game live and there is going to be no instant replay. You better pay attention. Get off your phone. Stop having conversations while the play is going on. You better watch the play and we're not going to show. I know I'm being facetious, but it's the truth. In the old days of televised football, the instant replay was like a full speed replay. Then the next innovation was they slowed the replay down where the guy in the TV truck was literally, Kevin, rocking the two reel-to-reel tapes slowly and showing you slowly a slow motion replay if you are advocating that we shouldn't review everything and that we shouldn't have high definition uh, replays deciding what is a catch or did he score a touchdown is it across the goal line where's his foot then you can't have replays period you can't have high definition replays because if we can all see that call is wrong the call has to be changed and maybe we are coming to a point uh, there have been some who've been advocating this. I know Rich McKay, by the way, who's the president of the Falcons, used to be the president and GM of the Buccaneers. He said for years, 15 years ago or more, in the challenge system, he was an advocate for this, Kevin, on the competition committee. If you want to use your challenge flag for a flag, for a foul in the game, you should be allowed to do that. You get two challenges. If you want to throw that challenge flag that, hey, he didn't touch him on pass interference, I want it challenged and I want it reviewed, maybe we're going to get to that point where even the officiating, the flags are going to get reviewed uh, in in the games. But you're not going to do, you agree with me, you're not going to do away with high-definition replay and slow-mo replay that can show that the call's wrong. It's not going to happen. No, so and, and one, one other point, I get one other point, I guess, before it gets to the picks, too, right? it's going back to Monday with New Orleans and Carolina yeah. with that touchback that went out of the end zone. Yep. You hate so that rule. Everyone's really picked you hate up it. on that one. You hate it. Well, it's just about there's got to be a better solution, you know? It's just, it can't be you're running the ball, you lose it out, out of the end zone, you lose possession. Like, it's just a, you know, it's kind of a crazy thing, these rules where, you can break the plane normally by sticking the ball over, but at other times, like you can't, you have to, 
there, there's a lot of crazy rules that are inconsistent. Well, for in the example, NFL. the rule, and I know where you're going with this because we talked about it before, and and we've debated this specific point. The rule currently is if you fumble the ball, offensive player, and it goes out of bounds without anybody recovering it, it goes and it was fumbled forward. It goes back to the spot of the fumble in that instance, so you can't do the holy roller and roll the ball forward to get an extra five or ten yards. What you're advocating and what the competition committee should probably take a strong look at is offensive guy fumbles and no one recovers in the end zone, it goes back to the spot. Or use the replay, what's the nearest spot that you can tell where he fumbled the ball because the defense didn't recover it in the field of play, right? That's what you're saying. Go back go back to the offensive player where he fumbled it, put the ball at that spot, give him the ball. On whatever down it is, is it first down, is it fourth down, give him the ball at that spot. You fine with that? I don't know about on that spot, because like in the Saints game where it was fumbled out of bounds, I don't know if you should get out the one, or in a sense you should be penalized because you lost the ball, push it back to the five. I mean, I don't know. I don't have a solution for it, but it's only a solution is you lose possession of the ball. Right. Well, remember, the current rule now is you're running downfield, you fumble, and it goes out of bounds. If you fumbled it forward, it goes back to the spot where you fumbled it. That's already in place. So the, the, the difference is here is when it goes in the end zone and no one recovers, it's a touchback. And that was a huge moment to put the game away for two reasons. One, they're likely going to have a first down if he's simply down, and they're going to kneel on the ball, and the clock is over and the game is over. If it's a touchdown, eventually, that's interesting for our purposes, Three Dog Thursday purposes and the number and the spread that would have covered the spread. And oh, by the way, for the actual game, Carolina now has the ball only down by three. They only needed a field goal, down 12 to nine. It's an enormous play. And I I guess, don't we go along with this before we get to the picks? It's going to have to happen like in an AFC or NFC championship game and or a Super Bowl that's close in the fourth quarter, and this play helps decide it, and then the competition committee will move and will do something and finally change the rule. Do you agree with me on that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, you need to have it on a big stage where everyone talks about it. You're like, ooh, this is probably not the right spot to do this in, so yeah. let's uh, let's fix this. All right, you know what we need to fix is some more underdog picks for the public out there here on Three Dog Thursday. Congrats to you for having the Titans in New York against the Giants last week. Great shutout win for them. Derrick Henry coming on strong. You had them as an underdog. I had the Steelers at home. Great win over the New England Patriots for them in the fourth quarter outplaying the Patriots. Now, Alex Marvez was saying just before you came on that Gronkowski looks like he's a shell of what he used to be physically in terms of being able to run down the field and be aggressive. How, quick comment from you. How big a trouble do you think? I know New England's got two easy regular season opponents at home to end the season, Bills and Jets, but are they in trouble for the postseason against better teams, or do you want to reserve comment till we see the playoff seedings and all of that? Is, is New England in trouble? No, I don't think they're in trouble. I think it, it's a little bit of a concern if they have to go on the road one or two times, I think that will be a concern because they've been terrible on the road this year, you know, and I understand that they should have won the Dolphin game and that they needed a crazy miracle play to lose that game. But, uh, you know, besides that, I, you know, at home, they're the only undefeated team at home in the NFL. So, you know, they've proven that they, you know, are flawless at home, but I mean, to see both these conferences and how wide open they are, it really is amazing that the Rams are not playing great, Right now, I mean, the Saints offensively have struggled, and I get the last three weeks have been on the road. But it is interesting where people have anointed these champions, the Chiefs and the Rams <laughs> and the Saints. And the funny part is the one team that kind of started a little slow that's coming out at the best time is the Chargers. But they're the one team that kind of was a little behind the eight ball. They were one and two. 
and they've really come on. But a lot of we've already had like four Super Bowl champions this year, and they all are playing well here down the stretch. Well, and as we were talking about with Alex Marvez, Ravens Chargers, very interesting game on Saturday night. Before we even get to Sunday, will that be part of Three Dog Thursday? Let's find out. All right, Kevin Rogers, we each have two NFL underdogs. I want you to have the honors first. Where do you want to go? Well, I might as well go to a game that I'm sure you probably watched years ago with Alan Amici scoring the game-winning touchdown between the Giants and the Colts at Yankee Stadium. But this time, they've they moved to color televisions and to replays and stuff like that. How many people listening to us were alive when Alan Amici scored that touchdown at Yankee Stadium? I would love to know the answer to that, but I do. It's one of the more famous old black-and-white uh, sudden death. It's the first time ever a championship was decided in sudden death, by the way. Are you advocating that this Giants-Colts game could have the same kind of impact on the history of the NFL, black and white or not? I don't know. We'll see. Probably not, uh, but uh, I will say that the Giants, after they were terrible last week against the Titans, that what about the Giants this year? They played without Odo Beckham the last few weeks. That doesn't really affect anything here, at least in my opinion, that they found a way to be competitive on the road. When you look at what they've done, and they just blew out the Redskins. I know the Redskins are decimated. But when you go back, they won at Houston earlier in the year. They covered late against the Falcons. They came back at San Francisco. They've actually been a pretty good road team. And you see what they you know, what they did last week, and people are really down on them. People are really high on the Colts for shutting out the Cowboys. That was a really good win by them. But all of a sudden now, Indianapolis is laying a bunch you know, I think the Giants will put out a good effort this week. You know, Saquon Barkley's going to the Pro Bowl. He's had an excellent season. People question that draft pick. If they should have gone with the quarterback, they probably still should go with the quarterback. But, you know, Saquon Barkley has, has been great for the Giants this year in his rookie season. I just think that this is too many points for the Colts to lay in this game and that the Giants will put up a better effort this week. Well, and as Alex was talking about, I mean, Frank Reich, that defense is better. They are running the ball. It's more than just Andrew Luck. What a coaching job. They're in the mix for the wild card, playing at home. Can the Giants mess it up for him? And again, the Giants without Odell Beckham with the injury. They've missed him the last couple of weeks. He's out again uh, for this matchup, it looks like, or at least will be hampered for this matchup with the Colts. Let's see what happens for that matchup. All right, I'll go with another early Sunday game here, pre-Christmas. Houston Texans still trying to wrap up not only the division, but wrap up a home game. Still in, in possibility here for the Texans of having a bye if they went out and things fall the right way. Houston in uh, this instance traveling to Philadelphia. Great win for the Eagles, keeping their playoff hopes alive in the NFC, winning at the Rams last Sunday night with Nick Foles, the backup. Eagles, the home favorite by two and a, two and a half. I like Deshaun Watson and the Texans here to go get it done at Philadelphia and win this game outright. They won in New York against the Jets last week. I know that the Colts snapped their nine-game win streak a couple of weeks ago, but even in even in that uh, that win streak, they they went to Denver and won. They went to Washington and won. They went to Jacksonville and won. They beat the Colts all the way back in September on the road. They've been a good road team without right victories. I'm going to go Houston Texans here with everything to play for to win in Philadelphia and uh, and basically sew up the AFC South and a home playoff game. So I will take them as one of my two underdogs for this weekend. All right. So there's an underdog from each of us. One more from each of us. Kevin, what do you like? You know, the line scares me a, li- a little bit, and I understand why it is the way it is, but I'm going to take a shot with the Seahawks on Sunday night against Ooh, the Chiefs. That, all right. 
you know, when you when you look at the Chiefs, that's the terrible loss to the Chargers. They have to go to a hostile environment at CenturyLink Field in Seattle. The Seahawks are coming off a bad loss to the 49ers in overtime last week. Seattle's been tremendous at home. They are tremendous at home, but at least the last few weeks, you see what they've done in some of these wins, including blowouts over the Vikings and the 49ers a few weeks ago. But, I, you know, I just look at Seattle. They're that close to getting that first wild card spot in the NFC. Yes, the Chiefs have a lot to play for to try to still win the division. They'll know, obviously, what the Chargers did, them playing Saturday. I mean, if they would have played Sunday, same thing. But still, they know what the Chargers are, you know, what they did against the Ravens on Saturday. So, you know, the Chiefs could win the AFC West if they win and the Chargers lose to Baltimore. So, you have that. But I still think that this is a tough spot for the Chiefs, that they, they really, really hurt themselves with that Charger loss. And I just think Seattle here, they rebound back at home. Well, they almost lost, should have, could have, would have to Baltimore, won that game in overtime at home, did lose to the Chargers. And who'd have thunk there's a scenario where the Chiefs not only don't uh, have a bye, they aren't the number one seed, don't have a bye, they may not win the division here, and and the Chargers sneak in and win the division, and the Chiefs are playing week one of the playoffs on wildcard weekend on the road. That could happen, and it may be out of their hands. If they lose this weekend, it will be completely out of their hands, almost completely out of their hands, and in the Chargers' hands, if that's the case. And back to Seattle and San Francisco, the call has been magnified now on uh, Shaquille Griffin, the defensive back for the Seahawks, in the overtime against Seattle. Exactly to your point earlier in this segment, did not touch the, the 49er receiver. Key third down in the overtime. The game may have ended up in a tie had the had – the, uh, had the call gone the Seahawks' way, the 49ers would have been punting. The Seahawks might not have had time to get a field goal. The game would have ended in a 23-all tie. Instead, that's a third-down play. They gave him an automatic first down. Terrible call on the pass interference because the replay showed Shaquille Griffin didn't touch him when he came around him. Awful call. So maybe they maybe those should get reviewed. Anyway, Seahawks are a different team at home. They have to win for their home playoff or for their playoff hopes. They're at home. They've got to win probably both of the last two games on the tiebreaker here. Can't win the West because the Rams have already clinched. I, I like Seattle. I'm joining in with you here. I like the Seahawks as the home dog with the two and a half points against Kansas City at CenturyLink Field with the wild environment and Russell Wilson at home. I think Kansas City is in real danger of not winning the division and being on the road the first weekend in the playoffs. And who had that? That's why you got to let the season play out. I'll go Seahawks with you on Three Dog Thursday. Seattle's been very good uh, again at home this season, um, including a win over Minnesota, a blowout win over San Francisco, the win over Green Bay on the uh, on the Thursday night game as well. Uh, you you got to go all the way back to the Chargers beating them on November 4th as their last home loss. I'll take Seattle at home as well, Kevin Rogers, here for Three Dog Thursday. All right, so there we go with the underdogs. VegasInsider.com. So much going on with the bowl games, the NFL, and much more. Tell the audience more about what you have in terms of information, sir. Well, the bowl season continues. Uh, we got the first uh, batch of games out of the way last weekend, but we still have a lot more busy Saturday and then starting post-Christmas. You'll have a lot more of the, the names you know. We'll be playing in a lot of these bowl games. Still have the two playoff games coming up on Saturday the 29th. So those are still uh, very big games and a lot to uh, to look at with our Bowl Central. Also, NFL, like we talked about, Week 16 this week, then Week 17, and then we get into the playoffs. So we have a whole lot of football still to go. We're about a week and a half away from college basketball conference play getting ramped up. So 
that will be good after all the finals are done. So uh, that's always exciting. A lot of games every day. NBA continues. NHL continues. So all of that. Check us out. VegasInsider.com. Also on Twitter. That's WhitVI. Great source of information. There is no doubt about that. Follow this man at VI Rogers. As always, follow this show at Three Dog Thursday. Sign up and subscribe, by the way, to the Three Dog Thursday podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Our guys at Radio Influence do a great job putting this out there, but you can subscribe through iTunes, through Stitcher, through Google Play. The show comes automatically to your device. One more thing, Kevin, we got a new feature. The Three Dog Thursday Morning Minute is on Alexa. So if you have an Alexa in your home, you can find out much more daily from three dog thursday with the three dog thursday morning minute just search for that through alexa sign up for it and every day you'll hear us talking about an underdog for a minute uh, a certain team in the nfl or college football or when the college basketball season comes around january february march we'll be talking about it on the alexa morning minute here on the program so we're excited to obviously uh crank into the bigger bowl games and the end of the nfl regular season um, again, a reminder, Kevin has got the Troy Trojans in that matchup in, uh, in Mobile in the Dollar General uh, Bowl in that one. He also has the New York Giants and the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL. I've got the Boston College Eagles, B.C., in the first responder bowl in Dallas, Texas. That one is a little ways from now. It's coming next Wednesday before we're back with you on Three Dog Thursday. So post-Christmas... It is Boston College and Boise State on a Wednesday afternoon in Dallas. I'll take BC as the underdog. I'll take the Texans this weekend against the Eagles, and I agree with Kevin. For the Sunday night game, give me the Seattle Seahawks against the Kansas City Chiefs in that matchup as the uh, as the home underdog. Reminder again, we've picked two NFL underdogs correct five of the last six weeks on this show at least two so pay attention to those dogs in the nfl kevin happy holidays merry christmas i know you wish the audience the same thing here because it will be christmas and santa will have come etc before we get back and do three dog thursday post christmas next week enjoy the holiday enjoy the football thank you for the time here all right tj thank you there is kevin rogers i'm tj reeves thank you for being with us as part of the only digital radio show devoted exclusively to underdogs we're here each and every week it is three dog thursday bye this is a we've seen that quick fix on radio influence basically the the genesis of the story is the McAllister family is they're going to spend a christmas in paris because peter and kate they're the parents uh, peter's brother got transferred over to paris so peter's brother is treating the whole family and flying them out to paris to spend the holidays together <laughs> and the night before they're getting ready to leave the house is – I don't know what it's like at your house around the holidays. My house is certainly nothing as crazy as this. But there, it looks like there's about 15 kids in this house. They're all running around, and you have a gentleman standing in the lobby of the house, kind of the foyer, if you will, dressed up as a police officer. It's Joe Pesci. And you know the, the funny thing is Joe Pesci in 1990 won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Goodfellas. So we have right. an Oscar winner standing in the house waiting to try and, and do a little recon because while he's dressed as a cop, what he really is is a crook. And he and his partner are kind of staking out this neighborhood so that all these families are going out of town. They know when they're going to go, and they can hit the homes while they're gone. And this is kind of the the crown jewel, if you will, this three-story mansion in this neighborhood. So they order pizza, which is um, – the, the pizza guy shows up, 10 pizzas, 12 bucks, 120 bucks for pizza. Just <laughs> no, no big deal because this family's got plenty of money. And in the meantime, Kevin, who's the character played by Macaulay Culkin, he had wanted a cheese pizza. 
And his older brother, Buzz, ate the cheese pizza, which just started all hell broke loose. Of course. Pepsi's getting spilled. The milk's getting spilled. If you pay real close attention, Peter, the the, Kevin's dad, accidentally throws away a plane ticket, which I'm assuming would be Kevin's ticket, (laughs) you know, and everything going crazy. And the um, and Kate, the mom, takes Kevin upstairs after he just gets berated by everybody. You know, the the cousins are like, you're such a disease. Uncle Frank, who is is um, he's a character unto himself. You know, he kind of breaks it all down. He says, look what you did, you little jerk. And then, and so Kevin gets taken upstairs, and then he's talking to the mom, and the mom's basically getting on him, saying, "How come you're the only one causing problems?" And she tells him to go upstairs, you know. To which the famous line, "I am upstairs, dummy." Like I don't know who talks to their mom that way and gets away with it. Not yeah, Apparently, not in my that house. Happens yeah. in the movies, and, the, and so she sends him to the third floor. We've seen that with T.J. Reeves and Jay Betzel can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.